0: Sailing movies, Um, Errol Flynn and Swords, and and the old 1700s, 1800s, 1900s sailing vessels. And it would make sense, one of my favorite movies um, is this one, Master and Commander. Um, I I just grew up reading the old C.S. Forrester, Horatio Hornblower, the Patrick O'Brien, which this is based on. And um, when I was in college, actually, I joined the sailing team at the U. Because you know this made sense. Now, despite the lack of cannon and sabers and swordplay, it was still pretty fun to sail. And sailing has been something to be able to influence uh, a lot of things they am able to do. This movie is a great movie. I strongly recommend it. it it's pure. It has no stupid romantic subplots. Uh, it's it's a straight sailing adventure movie, and it's accurate history wise. But one of the one of the themes of the movie or one of the characters is this old grizzled sailor, and he's got hold fast tattooed on his hands. And that's a theme for the movie, hold fast, obviously the lines, so you don't get blown overboard, but hold fast to your duty, hold fast to your faith in the commander, hold fast to the ship, hold fast to England, because these are English sailors. Um, that movie, that quote, hold fast, actually comes out of the book of Titus nine, uh, to be specific. And it talks about holding fast to the faithful word of God. Um, that is an interesting verse to take a look at. Holding fast to the faithful word, which is in accordance with teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Holding fast to the faithful word, I think, is a concept I wanted to dig into for a while. So... I wanted to teach on that, and I felt kind of led to that. So for the next five weeks, we are going to be going through the book of Titus. And today, all I want you to do is, is introduce it to you and challenge you just a little bit. And then we'll kind of move through, um, over the next five weeks, bits of parts of it. Paul Mayhew will be back next week. Oh, well, he'll be actually be back tomorrow. But um, he'll be uh, in the pulpit with me a little most of uh, next Sunday, and then the Sundays after that. We'll kind of go through one chapter a week. Um, the, the book is a very short book. The chapters are very short, so the teaching, my speaking, will be also correspondingly short. And I appreciate the fact that no one yelled amen, although if, if you were listening close, you could hear a couple of eyes click as they rolled back somewhere in this area over here, and you might have heard somebody say, yeah, right, but it should be pretty short, and we should be moving through this. It's a, a quick book, and it's kind of concentrated. Um, So as we go through that, my goal for me and for you is to engage with the book a little bit. Not just to sit and listen, but for you to read, for you to study, for you to be engaged with the book of Titus. And that's what we're going to do for a couple weeks. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as your group of worshipers, your group of believers, your group of people that you called out of a life of sin, that you knew you would do that. And you established us in your faith, and by your Son's blood, you cleansed us from sin. And Lord, we thank you. It's uh, too small of a word, and yet we'll try to spend our lifetime expressing those thanks, those gratitudes for being your children. Uh, Father, we do confess before you that we sin, and that we need your Son's blessing, your Son's cleansing, your Son's blood, uh, for us to be clean and stand before you. And we give thanks to you that we can stand before you this morning in prayer. We thank you for your word, that we can have it in a language we understand, and we thank you for the blessing of being able to worship you um, without fear of persecution from a government or from anyone, Father, uh, that you've used people throughout the history of this nation to give us the freedom to do that. Again, those are blessings from you that we don't want to overlook this morning. Pray this morning that you uh, and your spirit would uh, lend wings to my words, that my study would be accurate, and then any failings of myself, Father, would be just washed away by your spirit and your truth will be proclaimed here from this spot today, both to who hears our voice now and those who listen to it online. Father, we thank you again for this, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So, uh, today, uh, when you start, I start at the end. What do we want to end with today? What do we want to learn? What do we want to get out of this besides holding fast? And all we want to do today is introduce the book. And very simply, the essential question today is, why did Paul write to Titus? What, what's, what's the point of all this? And not to hold you in suspense, but there are three themes that you will see throughout the book of Titus. And that you, they're written on your notes, so you can go through that now if you want. Uh, it's the body, the body, the buddy, and the ball game. And we'll kind of take a look at those as we do that. At your notes, if you're taking notes, please feel free to keep up. I will probably go faster than you like. That's uh, just my nature, but we'll kind of go through this. Again, we're introducing the book, kind of getting a feel from a 3,000-foot up level, what is the book of Titus like. And we start with the author, which is this guy, uh, Paul, which is a, a pretty good photograph of Paul. It's really hard to find photographs of these guys. It's like they were a little bit camera shy. Both, uh, it's, it's odd. Um, I like this one in the fact that Paul looks like he could be from the Middle East. Usually, I grew up, the, all the Bible people were all like completely pale white guys from nebraska and we just we know that's not true we know that these guys they're from the middle east they're are, anyways so here's paul paul did not start his life as paul he started his life as a guy named saul saul of tarsus and saul of tarsus was what you would call a jew's jew he was jewish racially he was extremely well educated in the jewish faith he was a member of the sanhedrin he was a priest he was of uh, of wealth His family was powerful. Um, If you were of a certain age, you would describe Saul of Tarsus as like a Kennedy back in the 60s. The Kennedy family had power, prestige, a name. That was Saul. Saul, additionally, was a persecutor of Christians. He had Christians killed. So this was not a friendly person. And then the two most important words happened to Saul, but God. I think that the two most profound words in the Bible, but God. Saul was a persecutor. Saul was anti-Christian. He was a powerful, wealthy man. But God transformed his life. He was on the road going to Damascus. God appeared, turned him around, changed everything about him. It was a miracle, just like it was for you when you were saved, just like it was for me when God came to me, showed me truth, and I became a Christian. Saul became Paul. And Paul is a very, very great writer. He wrote a lot, and he's one of, the, one of the great people of the Bible that we'll ever take a look at. God changed his life. The recipient of the letter was this guy, who it's even harder to find photographs of, but this is Titus, we think. I don't know. Titus um, was one of Paul's closest friends. Titus was an important leader in the Bible. His name appears in the Bible 13 times. Uh, Titus was a Gentile, meaning he, he wasn't Jewish by birth. He was more like you and I, assuming that you're not Jewish. I don't know. Um, Titus was one of, uh, he was discipled by Paul. He worked with Paul. He traveled with Paul. He was a companion. He was a leader. He was with Paul in Ephesus when they were establishing the church there. Uh, he carried uh, Paul's letters. So when Paul would write a letter out from Rome, he might give it to, to Titus. Uh, he took the two Corinthian letters to the church at Corinth. If you remember, the first one is, is a little harsh on the Corinthians. So Titus is kind of a, a reliable guy and probably pretty, pretty confident in himself to take a letter that really took the Corinthian church to task. Um, he, was a, uh, he was in Jerusalem with Paul when Paul had to go to Jerusalem. And what's relevant to this, he was in, with Paul in Crete. And that'll be part of this story. Um, Titus's kind of time in the Bible ends in 1 Timothy he ends up in Dalmatia, and then we kind of we, we lose track of him in the Bible after that. Um, kind of an interesting guy. What's clear from everything you can study is he was trustworthy, he was confident, and he was a leader. So Titus is a pretty important guy to Paul and a pretty important guy in the Bible. The setting for this is Crete. Now, Paul would have called this the known world. This is kind of the Roman world, and of course, if you lived in Asia... Or North America, you would have a different version of the known world. But uh, for Romans and Jerusalem, you got the Mediterranean Sea, you got Rome, you got, you know, uh, Jerusalem and Israel. And then there's this island out in the middle called Crete. And that is where the setting for Titus is at. It's Crete. And Crete is an island, Um, it's kind of a cool island, it's about 160 miles by 40 miles. And that might not mean much to you, but if we kind of overlay Washington State and then throw Crete on it at the same scale, kind of from Leavenworth to Spokane, kind of give you a feel. It's a big island. Um, It's pretty mountainous. Uh, They get snow in the mountains in the winter, and the rest of it's very warm and Mediterranean. And It's a a nice place. The valleys are lush. It's pretty easy living in Crete. Um, In legend, this is where Zeus supposedly was born. Uh, those of you that are into your mythology, this is where Icarus and Daedalus made wings of wax and feathers and tried to get to the sun and failed, of course. Uh, the Minotaur had a big, uh, the labyrinth and all those stories. They all took place in Crete and Crete, um, was very easy living. And in AD 64, which is probably the best time we have for when this was written, um, the living might've been a little too easy as in people in Crete were kind of lazy. They didn't have to work hard for their food and it made them, um, well, to say somebody was from Crete or Cretan would be to say that they were lazy, that they were gluttonous, and they were very dishonest and that was so well known that Paul said well, this is yeah, these are these are bad people here, and uh, to be called the Cretan was not a good thing uh, in that timeline and today, interestingly, Crete is a big luxury resort area it 's super populated it 's kind of like Las Vegas. So maybe things haven't changed that much. I don't know. I um, haven't been there myself, but it's certainly a popular tourist destination nowadays. So that is Paul, Titus, and Crete. And maybe just parenthetically, if you're really into like the influence of geography on people, there's an interesting book called The, the Frontier Thesis by a guy named Frederick Jackson Turner. And it's, it's very pro-American. You'd like it if you, if you read that. But it talks about how geography can influence people. And he would, I think Paul would have had a lot to say about that, that Crete somehow influenced the people in Crete. All that being said, that's kind of the setting and the basic context of that. So, um, moving into the more specific context of, okay, why is this being written? And when was it written? Paul, our author, uh, is out of prison now. Now, usually we talk about, well, Paul wrote this in prison. Isn't that interesting? Paul's out of prison now. He's in Greece, Macedonia. Uh, it was no, written no earlier than 63 and no later than 65. So I'm kind of dumb. I figure it was written in 64. Um, he was writing this to his old friend, okay, Titus. He, they'd been together a long, long time. And they had established the church, established believers. And now it's time there's enough believers in Crete. Paul's saying to Titus, let's go make churches. Let's let's get them organized. Let's be a church. Let's get things put together. And Paul is um, giving this letter to two of his friends, a guy named uh, Apollos and a guy named Zenos, and they're bringing the letter to Titus, who is in Crete. And the goal is to kind of establish some churches. And Paul is anticipating, his letter has a lot in this, there's going to be pushback. Shocking, I know. People having disputes over how to run a church. But Paul's anticipating that and giving this letter saying, hey, be ready for this. Okay, Titus, it's going to be a little bit hard. It's a personal letter that is was to be read to everybody and to be shared with everybody. But at the heart, it's a letter between two people about the business at hand. And there's those three themes in the letter. And it's kind of interesting is that we get to listen in on this letter. Now, the letter was not written to us, right? And we've said that before. The Bible was not written to you and I. It was written for you and I is don't lose fact or lose sight of the fact that this was 1954 years ago that this was written and yet it still has some relevance to us and we'll be talking a lot about relevance as we go through that highly practical letter two key verses as you go through this Uh, oh here's more pictures of Crete sorry got a little distracted this is where Paul landed this place called Fairhaven which is a great name for a harbor I don't think the oil refinery was there when Paul got there um, here's our verses. So the first one, if there's two key verses, the first one is the one we kind of use as our title verse, "To hold fast, hold fast to the faithful word. The second one is the one that Dave read for us uh, at the start of the service this morning, which is, uh, in chapter two, kind of right in the middle of everything. And it's classic Paul. There's instruction and there's Christ being held up, which is kind of sanctification in Christ. Paul's big things for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men it's a good why, understanding thing. He instructs us, or instructing us, the word instructing us, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's still pretty relevant today. Pretty good, as a matter of fact. So, we have Paul, we've got Titus, we've got Crete, we got a little context. Good so far? Okay, participation time. Thank you, Gay. Gay gives me a little nod there, so I know we're going. Um, let's look at the themes real quick, very, very quickly. Um, there are three themes, I think, through the book of Titus. They don't quite line up with a chapter per theme, but they're pretty close. The first one is the body. And this is the dominant theme, the body of Christ. This is the, 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 the body. He's talking about churches. He's talking about congregations. He's talking about how to organize and talks a lot about leadership, especially in chapter one. And it's fun to listen in on this because this is the establishment of a church in a hostile area. Next week, Paul Mayhew's going to be giving us a report. You know what it's on? It's the establishment of a church in a hostile area. Wow, isn't that amazing? That's still going on today. So we get to listen in on this, and it has practical implications for us. It has had an influence on this church, the book of Titus, and we'll go through all that. The second theme is the buddy. Okay, It's about two guys. Well, it's more than two guys, but it's fundamentally about a leader and his disciple, his pal, his friend, his student, about how to work together. And that church is not a singular thing. We don't have priests. You are priests. You are saints. We don't rely on one person. It's all of us having a relationship with Jesus Christ individually, that we come together to be the church, but we're still the church when we're all separated. And the church goes on, and we do church even though we're not here. Sunday morning is just one part of this. And we get to look at some of that. So there's a lot about partnership and working together. And then it's not just, Paul's not the super great guy. I kind of think he is. But Titus, I mean, everybody has a role. God is much bigger and he works on all of us at the same time. So There's a lot about the partnership thing and friends. The third part is the ball game. And this is an appropriate metaphor because Paul liked sports. And Paul wrote about sports. But the idea here is that as Christians, as a church, we need to get off the bench. We need to be involved in the game. Uh, Sunday morning is not the sum total of what we do as Christians. It's one part. It's an important part because we're only together once, but it's what we do during the week as Christians, as leaders, as parents, as children, as friends and family that spread the gospel. It's about getting involved constantly, all the time, Um, with what goes on. As Paul put it, it's to be involved in doing what is good. Doing what is good. And I like that it's getting in the game, the ball game. So, the body, the buddy, the ball game as the three main themes. Hold fast to our faith as we go through that. Why do we want to be involved? Well, because the grace of God has appeared to all men. That's our influence as God is here. So, that's our objective today. Have we done it? Have you got an understanding of why Paul wrote to Titus? Can you can you remember the three themes? This is another participation time. Okay? We, I'm, not everybody's nodding. Do, do I need to start over? I can back up real quick. I mean, it's not a problem for me. Um, in closing up the introduction time, uh, usually, well, it's a traditional warning that I give, and I'll, I'll just be very transparent with some things I've I've discovered over the last couple years, um, the Word of God. When we read the Word of God, when we hear the Word of God, it should change us. We should not be able to have an encounter with God's Word that doesn't change our thinking a little bit or change our actions a little bit. Sometimes a lot. Sometimes you have those moments where it's like, whew, it just really hits you. Um, and that's different than any other form of writing. And I've been educated probably well beyond my intelligence. And I've read a lot of stuff. And when I read history, you know what? It still means the same thing when I read the history. I don't get a deeper understanding of Teddy Roosevelt despite every book I read. And if I reread Moby Dick, it still is about a whale representing nature and obsession. It it doesn't change. But when I read scripture, it's different. Scripture is not words. Because The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, when you read Scripture, the Holy Spirit illuminates that word. It's not just words. It's God speaking to you. And when the Holy Spirit interacts with you, it happens on a very supernatural level. A five-year-old can read John 3.16 and understand it. Yes? An 85-year-old can read John 3.16 for the millionth time in their life, and they get a deeper, different understanding that is somehow different in their minds and changes them a little bit. No other form of writing does that. Again, no one has ever saved, Moby Dick saved my life. However, the Bible, even non-Christians admit that the Bible changes people's lives. And that's because the Word is God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. It's a special Thing to be able to read god's word and if you're allowing it in the ball game if you will it will influence you now the meaning won't change the interpretation i believe is, is always there's rules of interpretation the interpretation will be the same but the application can be very very different depending on how many times what happens How the Holy Spirit uses that word in you can be applied differently to you because there's an interaction between you, the reader, and God, the Holy Spirit, which is an extremely long-winded way of saying that preachers should not be giving you how to apply the word to your life. That's up to you. That's between you and God. That's between you and the Holy Spirit, how to apply that to your life. And a preacher should not get between that relationship. Now, when I was a younger, you know, dumber person about a month ago, I would tend to, at the end of a sermon, would give you, okay, this is how God applied it in my life. And I thought that was a good balance. I could tell you how it applied to me. You can take it or leave. You can argue with it. I don't even think that's appropriate anymore. I think that's going too far. I really believe that you need to wrestle with the Word. You need to figure out how to apply that to your life. And that's what's exciting about the Holy Spirit. And that's what's exciting about having the Bible in our own, our own hands. Hold fast to the Word of God. And it's going to change you. It will change you. So my challenge to you today, rather than tell you, okay, here's how we apply this, is I want you to read Titus this next week. It's short. It's a, it's a couple swipes or a couple page turns. It's a short book, three little chapters. I want you to read it, and I want you to kind of look at three questions as you read it. And just, just read it. First one is always ask yourself, okay, what's this about? Okay, you don't have to get in depth. You don't have to do, you know, get your Strong's Concordance and look up every word in Greek and just read it and ask yourself, okay, what was this about? And if you have a hard time doing that, maybe reread it, okay? Second question is as you take a look at it, does this have, to, as you read that, what's it about? Does it have any implications for us as a church, as a body? Does it influence us? Does it, is there an implication that I should do something different or we should do something different? You can probably see what the third question is going to be. Is the same thing for you personally? Okay. Are there implications for what you read in Titus for you? Does there is there some deeper understanding of God's truth of Jesus Christ of what it means to be sanctified? Are the elders qualified? I mean, those are good questions. Now, can you do that for me? Again, participation time. Excellent. Um, if you will do that, I will promise to prepare a message for next week okay, and the next couple weeks thereafter. Um, those are good questions to ask, I'd say, anytime you read scripture. Those are, those are pretty good, simple, what's the point of this, how does it influence me? Okay, Because it's not there to make you smarter, it's there to make you more like Jesus Christ. There's a reason it was written for you. So that's our introduction to Titus, we'll move on with that a little bit more Next week, and a little more of the weeks thereafter. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, again, we can have this time with your word, that we can worship you with our own voices, and that, Father, we can do this in the open, and you've, through the generations that went before us, you've given us this nice facility where it's comfortable, and we can and hear and see and enjoy our company with uh, you and with one another. Father, we uh, pray that you would keep your hand upon this body, that there's a reason you established this church here in Grant County, and that we have connections, Father, from uh, far away, as Macau and Hong Kong and uh, Mexico, England. that uh, Father, the connections that you've established here are, are pretty profound. Father, we pray that you would continue to use your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word in our lives, that we might grow in our knowledge of you and of your Son we grow in our relationship with one another, that we become closer to you and more conformed to the image of your Son in our life. Again, we thank you for this time. We pray that you would continue to be glorified in our midst and as we close out this time together in a time of worship of you, that Father, our worship would be by your Spirit and would be in spirit and truth. We ask all these things this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.